I thought um, this is an interesting question, Nelika, that <clears throat> perhaps the center of religion is a kind of longing or maybe um, it's like a, a collection basin for longing, for human longing, for longing for meaning or um, I was going to say truth, but I don't exactly mean it in an abstract sense, but maybe in, <clears throat> in a kind of felt reality. And it reminded me of something. Our relationship with longing reminded me of a line from Rumi. <laughs> Rumi says that, that the longing is the mystery, with a little capital M. In other words, he's sort of saying uh, God and longing are the same thing. So... I don't know, these kinds of conversations around meaning, God, truth, the human experience, um, longing, puts us in the general field of, in my point of view, spirituality more broadly, but you could say the great, the great questions of religion, what, what religion has been poking around in or religions have been poking around in. And uh, so, yeah, I did want to ask, uh, what's the point of a religious life? That's a different, slightly different question than saying, what is religion? That's also quality, quality question. Um, but what is the point? And I'm not going to really tell you, unfortunately, today. Um, I know, I'm sorry. But I, I would like you to wonder about it and, um, and try to back away from uh, this sort of simple cliches we have about being religious or not being religious, or religion as certain people I don't like, or religion as certain people I do like. Just try to uh, five steps back from that. Because it's kind of like asking, what is the point of my life? <laughs> what is the point of living? Where, where are my tethers to meaning and to what's real? Kind of like what the word religion is supposed to mean in Latin, to rebind or reconnect. Yeah, to what? Um, and what, are, what is the qualitative nature of those threads that are connecting? For I, I think any of us sitting here would be able to name threads of connection that connect us with meaning. Even if we might question, well, I don't know if this is absolute meaning or something like that, we'd say, yeah, here's a thread of connection that's meaningful for me. And that's not too far from wondering about what's the point of a religious life. And I also have an, another problem here, and it's in that I'm only here for three more weeks, <laughs> and it's sad. It's sad for me. It's, uh, this has been such a gift in my life, such a surprising gift to be a part of this place and to get to know so many of you and to hear little bits of your story and... Um, I don't know, and to see you just week after week, it's been, a, it's been a, a conversation, that's what it's felt like to me. Not like I cook up things in some sort of secret bat cave and then deliver them and then disappear, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's been a conversation, and I've been shaped by you all, by your questions and by your life experience, and that's what I'm going to miss. So... I'm, I'm mentioning that because I was just sort of wondering, well, how, what do I want to spend time the last three weeks talking about? And, um, 
And part of the answer to that is I want to say some personal things today, really over the next couple weeks, about my own relationship with a word like religion or religious life or my own spirituality for that matter. I mean, we call ourselves a spiritual community and it's just an intriguing question to me. Well, what is the nature of my own spirituality? What is the nature of your spirituality? How has it been changing or growing or morphing or evolving? Certainly, um, over the last seven years, I think I've been here five-ish more now years, and my, my own, I guess, spirituality has been changing quite a bit over the last seven years. And and some of that you've had a taste of because I have to talk every week and I, you know, so um, I, it, it ends up kind of spilling out even if it's, if it's not well formed. And, but I guess I want to try to say some personal things today. And so, the, so I, I, instead of kind of riffing, which is my general approach to giving talks, I, I, I jot out a few ideas and then I see what happens. Um, I thought I'd bring some of my own writing. Because writing and speaking are completely different artistic crafts for me. They're both art. That's, that's my feeling. Um, but like Jesus has this great line, um, what is here today, tomorrow is thrown into the fire. That's how I feel about the sermon <laughs> or public speaking. It's here today and tomorrow it's gone. It's like the wind, you know. Writing, it's like there's a little more permanence involved because you can look at it again. It's like any good poem you return to it. You're not like, I heard that poem once, you know, got it. It's like a song, you know. And so writing is a little more like that. And so I'm not, I can whip up sermons all day, but when it comes to writing, I'm just like way slower. So what I'm saying here has been, I've been trying to say over the last few years, and I'm, I'm getting closer to some things. And I'm just going to read to you little bits and pieces. I'll probably stop and do my own riffing on, on myself, I guess. <laughs> Um, but that, that's where I'm going, and, and, um, and we'll just see what happens. And I want you to know, it's, it, you'll hear it. It's in, it's in the same container as the question, what is the point of a religious life? And do I have one? Do I have a religious life? Am I even a religious person? And, um, that's kind of a little bit of a background. I don't know how far I'll get. I printed off a lot of pages. I won't read them all, but maybe I'll break it up into, into a couple weeks here. Um, Let's start with a poem, and uh, I'll, I'll read you a poem on my own, which I don't like to do, you know. Uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's vulnerable to, to read a poem of, that, I, that I've cooked up or that came to me, the muse whispered to me. Uh, so I, I tend to be a little more shy about, about reading poems. Um, but I just thought of another line from Jesus, which I don't like. He says, uh, what's whispered to you in the night, shout from the rooftops. And I think, nah, that's, nah, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, okay, so this is what I call a spontaneous poem. And uh, it's a practice. You, can, you too can do it. And here's a spontaneous poem. Like you hit a timer, like say two minutes, three minutes, and there's some kind of prompt. And you see what comes out. But you write a poem, even if you're like, I'm not a poet, it doesn't matter. You just let the, let the pen go. And that's what this poem is. This is an unedited, spontaneous poem. And, but I'll give you the question. The question was, what happens if, when you're swallowed by the underworld? 
right? That was, the, that was the prompt of this particular poem. What happens? What's that like when all of a sudden you're just wandering along and something comes out of the darkness and takes you down? So this is what it's like for me. One day, the earth opens her mouth and swallows you whole, and God turns God's back. And if you look back, you are turned to salt, and God twiddles God's thumbs and disappears into the cloud you know nothing about. It takes a long time, this terrible weaning, the wolf mother who leaves you sucking air instead of milk. No one comes looking for you. Unlike Elijah, whose friends travel from mountain to mountain in search of their friend. You are so far gone, even the voice of your lover is like an old voicemail you never managed to delete. I, for one, wish this on no one except some of you. The ones I'd like to kiss, like Judas, and betray you. (laughs) So you can feel again how you've betrayed yourself. Just remember if this happens to you, do not fall in love with your stories. Do not cling to any images. Do not pray unless you must. Do not blame. Do not run. Yeah, so there you go. See you next week. (laughs) It's a very personal poem, I guess, as all poems, I suppose, are. And I'm saying this is what it felt like for me to be sucked down into another world, like pulled out from my own frame of reference and betrayed in a way, as if my, as if my, my own worldview had betrayed me and I was lost. And, um, you know the beginning of the inferno, Dante's inferno. In the middle of my life, I entered the woods having lost my way. <laughs> That's what this poem is trying to say, you know, something like that. And, um, and, and this poem comes up out of, in a sense, losing my own religion, like that great R.E.M. song. At least I thought it was, okay? And so, okay, and, and here, here are some uh, paragraphs. We'll see how this goes. For the last 15 years, I've more or less assumed that people are better off without religion, without structure, without a dominant narrative. I felt religiously homeless and assumed this was something worth celebrating and wishing upon the world. For a while, I I held this sort of posture in secret. The religious world was actually paying my bills, so I had little choice but I doubt if it was all that hidden. Resentment and bitterness and mockery were never far away. I'd see someone praying over their food in a restaurant. I'd hear a sermon on the radio from Ohio. I'd catch some news headline about the prayer breakfast in the White House. I'd see a bumper sticker about heaven, and my heart's icy shield would grow a little colder on the spot 
This is bullshit, I'd say, with a bitter edge and a cynical grin. This attitude made me sicker. Resentment and blame and superiority are no way to live. Superiority, especially spiritual superiority, (laughs) is the worst kind of poison. Self-righteous superiority is really bad for the heart. At least for me, this was mostly an unexamined superiority beneath a lot of murky half-claims. Here's a line from Merton. (laughs) In their frantic anxiety to escape from such dogmatic conception, they take refuge in a system of beliefs that is vague and fluid. A system in which truths pass like mists and waver like shadows. They make their own personal selection of ghosts in this pale, indefinite twilight of the mind. They take good care to never bring these abstractions out into the full brightness of the sun for fear of the full view of their unsubstantiality. (laughs) Merton's a lot better writer than I am, I just realized. (laughs) What a line. In their frantic anxiety to escape from such dogmatic conception, they take refuge in a system of beliefs that is vague and fluid. I first read that not that long ago, and I thought, oh, that's me. (laughs) That's me. This is the land of the spiritual but not religious, in my opinion. The vague terrain, which for me felt like a safe place, that's in quotes, safe place from dogma and doctrine and institution where I could be free. But it turned out I was locked inside a prison of self-righteous and vague abstractions. That's how it felt. Okay, to be fair, religion has many problems. Christianity is filled with contradictions. Sometimes we may say no with our minds and with our feet. If you've walked away, I'm not standing in judgment. In some sense, I too have left Christianity. I no longer hold to the common tenets of my faith at least by all outward appearances. If you gave me some kind of orthodox theology test, I'd fail. By the way, here's an aside. When I was at Hebrew University, um, most of my studies was in um, rabbinic Judaism and early Christianity, this kind of like critical time where these two really religions were forming. Um, Of course, Judaism is much older, but Judaism and its during that period was was crystallizing to a certain extent. Um, Anyway, I I would read sometimes the church fathers in class, and I realized that if if I were in seminary and I were just to write down the answers that the church fathers had for certain things, I would be called a heretic. (laughs) It's like they're so far from how we, like modern Christianity and, and how, how it expresses itself, that the very origins sound her, heretical in a way. In some ways, it's because they're a lot more allegorical and mystical to a certain extent. Anyway, um, so if you gave me some kind of orthodox theology test, I'd fail, probably like the church fathers. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> um, 
But there's a difference between saying we no longer believe certain things or walking out the door of some religious gathering and actually leaving the meaning-making terrain of the psyche to which religion is just an awkward net. I'm not so sure we can just walk away, imagine no religion, post about our newfound liberation on our phones, and expect our vague tastes to satisfy the deepest human instincts we crave, like wholeness and unity and completion and the divine. In fact, I'm not sure we have much, much say in the images, the symbols, the living powers that arise from the dark side of conscious awareness. We can proudly wave our anti-Christian flag or our anti-Christ flag, only to be lured into our own death and resurrection anyway. (laughs) High in the Navajo sandstone dunes of Capitol Reef in Utah, after a couple of days of fasting alone, I saw the outline of, of a stone whale on the trackless path I took to get water from hidden desert pools. No doubt this was a whale a great fish coming out of a five-million-year-old rock. My heart pounded. I crawled into the mouth of this beast without any thought, as if it was a natural part of anyone's day. I allowed myself to be swallowed, as if I could really fight it in the first place. It was too late. I closed my eyes, enveloped in the darkness of this death. I was decomposing now having no sense of how long I'd been here or would be here, no idea for when this would end or how it would end, whether in my demise or in something else. Time was bendy. I was 5,000 years old and just born at the same time. When I crawled out, knowing I needed some drinking water, I was shaken, and I laughed out loud. I took to speaking to this whale whenever I caught a glimpse of this creature and entered this whale on my daily commute, like we had an agreement. I'll offer myself to you, I thought, and in exchange, well, I don't know. No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. That's a line from Jesus. I had no choice in entering this archetypal image. It came out of the desert of silence, out of the wilderness of my own drowning, out of the hidden chambers of the psyche, and out of the physical and very real world. And later, during this same fast, in a drying desert pool with juniper priests as witnesses, among dancing dragonflies still water-bound with ravens beckoning call of death, Near the snap of hummingbird wings and the buzzing of purple desert bees, I was baptized. Falling into the drowning waters of mystery, the kind of naked surrender, the very images of my own faith held sacred. I entered the waters of death and emerged beneath the daytime moon, just like the single most important image in my tradition meaning baptism. By the way, I saw the daytime moon on the way in. It's like, oh, man. And it looked just like that when I came up out of the water. 
By the way, this is not like some elaborate metaphor. This happened to me. I probably should have said that. Why am I saying these things? Because this is what's been happening to me over the last seven years. By no choice of my own, really. Or half choice. Or a half choice, half understood. Or something like that. Oh, that's the next line. This was just happening to me. Not as a thought or idea and certainly not as a plan. Beliefs about ideas about God, about what other people have called the truth, have no sway in this kind of immersion. I was being acted upon. And even metaphor, symbol, ritual, and ceremony could only hint at the meaning buried in these underworld-like experiences. I wasn't reading about fasting or talking about its theological meaning or arguing about the right kind of baptism or wondering if the Jonah story was really true. Instead, I was cooperating with something, being undone and swallowed, which was devastating and also felt right enough. My own ego, my conscious self, the one I had invested so much of my life protecting had no sway in the images and phrases and voices and stories that flooded me on my own archetypal and literal fast. In fact, what the hell was I even doing out here? I wondered out loud. How did I end up in this place? I had followed Jesus out to the wilderness in a way I had never followed him in the past. It was like I'd accidentally followed him, by confessing I was no longer his follower. I've been led by the mystery, by the wind, by dreams, by heartache, by longing into the desert to have a conversation between my own soul and the world and nature, between my own soul and the other, to speak with Satan, <laughs> to be tempted by shadow, to be confronted by reality itself, I and the greater I. The Spirit led Jesus out to the wilderness where he fasted. Jung was once asked by the BBC if he believed in God. <laughs> he said, I don't, I don't believe, I know. <laughs> he said this with an awkward grin, and he shifted in his seat. You can watch it on YouTube, by the way, just fun times, afternoon project. He was shifting in his seat, I think knowing he'd be uh, misunderstood. How can anyone really answer this question? Do you believe in God? I mean, really, how can anyone answer this question, and what would the answer even mean? What is a belief in the first place? Who is the I doing the believing or the disbelieving? Just a couple of years before Jung died, he wrote in a letter to a friend. To this day, I've read this once before, to this day, God is the name by which I designate all things that cross my willful path violently and recklessly. <laughs> all things which upset my subjective views, plans and intentions, and change the course of my life for better or worse. <laughs> I don't know why that definition makes me laugh, but it does. What do we actually know about this God? About the things that have disrupted our well-laid plans and altered the course of life? I started saying, I don't know what I mean by God anymore, and started admitting I don't know what these biblical stories mean anymore. I started realizing I could actually walk away from faith, or maybe it's better to say I started realizing how little faith I actually had. 
The moment I started to allow this sort of deeper unknowing to rise up inside, to my surprise, I suddenly recognized something even more profound about the stories and images that had carried me this far. It might be better to say that I was coming to know the stories and images as felt experience. This is miles from saying what the biblical stories mean or explaining Hebrew grammar or giving sermons about context which is what I spent many years doing, basically. What do I know? What do I know? I know what it's like to wrestle the angel like Jacob and walk away with a limp. I know what it's like to slay my brother in a rage like Cain. I know what it's like to betray my best friend and sleep with his wife like David. I know what it's like for the tent-dwelling mother-pleasing brother to be at war with the father-pleasing wild man like Jacob and Esau, both of which dwell in my inmost being. I know what it's like to deny Christ like Peter, to say I never knew the man. I know what it's like to drive a tent peg through the skull of my enemy after seducing him like Sisera. That's an obscure story in the Bible. (laughs) I know what it's like to speak with God in the desert like Moses while the trees are on fire. I know what it's like to be barren, to laugh at God's promises like Sarah. I know what it's like to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver like Judas, less in fact. I know what it's like to cling to Jesus like Mary Magdalene, not wanting Jesus to be something other than my own fantasy. I know what it's like to be forsaken by God, the almighty mute like Jesus. I know the bitter taste of gall in the belly of the whale, the darkness that's enlightening, the dread of the underworld abyss like Jonah. I had been swallowed like Jonah. The sweet darkness of the belly, the womb, the tomb was doing its work. And the belly of the whale wasn't confined to four days alone with no food. In fact, it felt like I'd been underwater for days and weeks and months for 40 days or 40 years out on the edge of the wilderness, out on the edge of the desert in a thirsty and waterless land. I was coming to know the darkness, to see dimly in the dark, to savor the unknown, to fall in love with a wild unfolding I could never have dreamed up, to taste honey from the rock, to drink from the bitter spring turned sweet by miracle. Maybe one day, I'd crawl shaken onto the beach. I understand, I understand the pain of being inside a tradition that feels like it's on life support and is offering cliches and simplistic certainties and platitudes. As Abraham Heschel says in the opening chapter, of God in search of man, we should blame religion for the demise of religion, not the so-called secular world. But if we leave our religion, it's not obvious that some new meaningful ground awaits. A spirituality of one's own private tastes and inclinations instead of religion does not appear to be working very well. Obviously, it's much smaller than the totality of an ancient tradition. Or if we have some fundamentalist, or if we leave some fundamentalist Christian camp, we tend to take it with us into our Buddhism or veganism or whatever. 
Our consciousness remains mostly the same. A creeping lostness and confusion seems to follow us into our new world. I just think or I just feel grows old pretty quickly. Meanwhile, politics and ideology and niche groups are trying to satisfy our religious instinctual hunger, but offering us bread that will not last. Maybe I want to kind of make this the final paragraph I want to read. Religious ground, in the oldest sense, of the deepest kind, appears to be calling us anyway. Despite religion's propensity for corruption, power, and impotency, meaning still beckons. Can we really leave the deep architecture of meaning hidden in the dark chambers of the psyche just because we don't believe a few statements of faith or or because some authority figure turned out to be a very flawed human being? To paraphrase Jung, which I, um, was I here last week? Yeah. Who knows? Like Time is like, yeah, whatever. Um, to paraphrase Jung, we can do all the yoga we want, but our psyche may be a medieval Christian. <laughs> he really said that, by the way. <clears throat> it seems like the cult of being anything we want Anything we dream up, anything we choose is plagued by an underworld of images and energies and meanings and trouble that wishes to have a say the moment we declare our latest paper-thin identity along with our new corresponding tattoo. Like Jonah, we must be thrown into the sea, into the blessed waters of darkness, into the sweet blindness needed in order to be truly free. That's what I wanted to say today, more or less, just to give you a little taste of things that have been wrestling me to the ground over the last seven years and sucking me down and upending my life and turning it inside out in kind of a a beautiful and, and meaningful way, and I'm just trying to describe that terrain. So maybe I'll just end by rereading my little poem here. One day... The earth opens her mouth and swallows you whole, and God turns God's back. And if you look back, you are turned to salt. And God twiddles God's thumbs and disappears into the cloud you know nothing about. It takes a long time, this terrible weaning, the wolf mother who leaves you sucking air instead of milk. No one comes looking for you. Unlike Elijah, whose friends travel from mountain to mountain in search of their friend. Do you know that story? I love this story. Elijah is taken up, or he's gone. Actually, most people say he's taken up in a sort of like chariot thing or something. But that's actually not what the story says. He's taken up, and then later on, they they see like this chariot thing, and they assume he's in it. It's not exactly what the story says. Biblical fun facts for you. But anyway, that he disappears, and his friends like say, well, maybe he's on this mountain. They all run over to the mountain. I mean, this would take a while. And then they come down the mountain. Oh, he's not up there. And then they run over to another mountain. And that's what it's like when, you're, when your worldview comes apart. For a while, you run around, climbing back up, trying to put it back together. 
Like, oh, just maybe, I remember actually, here's a fun fact. So I quit um, Mars Hill as the pastor in some year, whatever, a while ago. <laughs> um, seven years ago, I think, something like that. A little, maybe a little bit longer now, eight years. And anyway, um, in case you don't know, having an English degree and a master's degree in um, biblical studies and comparative religion doesn't make you all that employable, okay? And when, you're, when the religious world has paid all your bills, all, all, I mean, that's my entire life, you don't know where to go, you know? Like, it's not like you can pivot. What do people say, like, in the corporate world? You pivot, like, in basketball. There's no pivoting. You're just lost. <laughs> so anyway, I was trying to make ends meet anyway any way possible, and I, I, I climbed up on another mountain trying to put my world back together again, and I called the um, superintendent of Grand Rapids Christian where I used to work. I said, teaching was my, one of my favorite things of all time, and it was. I, I absolutely loved teaching high school. It was, it was awesome. About the time you hated it and you could not look at another teenager, then the semester would change. So it would be like, all right, I made it. Um, but I loved it, and I said, look, I want my job back. And he said, no. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think you'd be a good fit anymore. I was like, all right. That's, that's, that's running, running around trying to put your worldview back together again. And those are Elijah's friends. All right, back to the poem. You are so far gone. Even the voice of your lover is like an old voicemail you never managed to delete. I, for one, wish this on no one, this swallowing, this abduction. Except some of you, the ones I'd like to kiss like Judas and betray you so you can feel again how you've betrayed yourself. Just remember, if this happens to you, do not fall in love with your stories. Do not cling to any images or any ideas for that matter. Do not pray unless you must. Do not blame. Do not run. Thanks, y'all.